Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. To hear God's word, and that's the prayer this morning that we would dive in and and the Lord would speak to us right through all the noise of the season. I don't know about you, but this fall's just been really chaotic. It just like up all kind of my rhythm's been thrown off and um, boy, it's hard to just get time, right? To tune in to uh, the Lord and um, what's really important. And so my prayer this morning for us is that we would uh, just have a time this morning, this Christmas Eve to just breathe deep and uh, to listen to the voice of the Lord. If there's anything we need, um, it is to hear his voice. Uh, Twenty. We'll talk more next Sunday, just about 2024. Um, if you've seen all the predictions, 2024 is going to be a wild year um, for a lot of reasons, right, uh, around the world. Um, and so we're going to just lay hold of some anchors next week, right, for that and to prepare for that. Um, and we, we need more than anything just to hear his voice, right, and to be overwhelmed by what our God has spoken already, what he has done uh, for us, for this world, and, and to sink our feet firmly right on that on that truth. So let me just pray for us. We're going to dive in this morning. Father, thank you, Lord. Um, gosh, your love, Lord, is far beyond what we could ever imagine. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come this morning, your presence among your people as you promise. Lord, that we would just be still for a moment. All the plans, all the thoughts, all the preparations, everything, the worries, the maybe the, the struggles of this season, um, to set them aside. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Prepare our souls, Lord, to hear you, to engage with you, to hear your word. Lord, you know where every one of our hearts is at this morning. I pray you bring your truth to bear. Encourage us, overwhelm us with the magnitude of your love, the glory of the gospel, the real meaning of Christmas, God, of what you've done and what you're going to do. Uh, Come speak to us now. Meet us, Lord, where we're at, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles or there's one in front of you, we're going to be in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark um, this morning, and we're going to talk about Christmas according to the Gospel of Mark. And some of you might be going, wait a minute, the Christmas story is not in the Gospel of Mark. And that's partly accurate and partly not. Um, And tonight, actually, we're going to be in the Gospel of John and the Christmas according to the Gospel of John. Mark and John are the two Gospels that do not include the story of Jesus' birth. They go straight at it, right at the real core of the Christmas message. They don't take time to go back in the genealogy and the history of the birth of Christ. They just go straight to the message, and there's larger reasons for that for both of them versus Matthew being Jewish and Luke being Gentile. Them, uh, There's a reason for those genealogies in giving us an account. Luke, obviously, clear account, counting of of historically what took place. Uh, So I want to just do something different dive in with the gospel of Mark and do what Mark did and go straight at the core uh, this Christmas season of what is Christmas all about? What is this thing called the gospel, this good news, this revolutionary news for the whole world? 
uh, the reason why, right, Jesus came um, to us. And so I'm going to march through a few of these verses and just, we're going to just this morning um, have fun. Let the Lord in, encourage us right through his word in this, uh, in this chapter, um, the beginning of uh, the gospel of Mark. But what I want to leave you with, hopefully this, the word of God will flesh this out for us, is this question. Is what we think about God aligned with what God says about us? I want to hope you'll take that with you this Christmas season. And what I want to show this morning in the encouragement of the good news of this gospel, there's no news like it. Nothing transforms like this. No one loves your heart. No one has done anything close to what Jesus has done for you and for the whole world. The question is, do I believe that? And, and here's the, the thing I want us to, to, to hold on to this morning is either I'm in a crisis of faith in my life. Might not even know it. And a crisis of faith in my life comes when these two things don't align. And this happens for a believer. This happens for somebody who uh, doesn't believe yet or who's wondering. These two things come together. But a crisis of faith happens in anybody's life when what I Believe about God does not match what God's word, God says about me. When those become different, I enter into, and I can stay in it for a long time, a crisis of faith. In other words, faith doesn't come alive. Faith comes alive. And faith is a gift of God. Jesus gives and he pours out, right? In this world, faith comes alive when these two things beautifully converge. What I Believe about God. What I know about Jesus and the New Testament comes together with what God has said to the world. And when those come together, we'll just call it a Christmas of faith rather than a crisis of faith. Christmas in the depth of that word being this captivating relational engagement with Jesus is the point of my faith. He's everything. He's redeemed me, he saved me, and he has an eternity for me. He entered in this world, right, to release the captives, to set us free, to transfer us from this kingdom of darkness, right, with no hope, and set us into his eternal kingdom. This is the proclamation of victory that went out. And this is where Mark um, begins in his journey. So I hope you'll just take that this Christmas season and, and beyond to think about that. Because at any moment in time, we are either in a crisis of faith or a Christmas of faith. Meaning, I'm either wrestling with something in in my life where I'm diverging, I'm questioning, I'm doubting what God's word says about me, his love for me, his plans for me, um, what it says about how I should live, go on down the list of things. And I'm living in this crisis of faith. And in that crisis of faith, folks, I cannot live in peace. I'm not going to experience the promise, fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace. Those things are gifts that come through the Holy Spirit into my life. I'm otherwise, or I'm going to be living in this place. And this is what we would ask the Lord for this morning, where we bring these together, where I... I am able to lay before him any wrong thoughts, any lies, anything that I'm just stubbornly holding on to in the face of what God's word actually says. And this goes for anything, the scripture. And I think we've all been there, could give testimony. When I go my way and I go against what God's word says is I enter into a crisis of faith and me and God are at odds. It's not until I come back and, I, and, and the word we'll get to is, is repent. I'll say, Lord, forgive me. 
is help me, Holy Spirit, to align these things. Let this unity in my life of what I am trusting and believing come in unity with what you are saying, the truth, right, of God. All right, so let's dive into Mark this morning and um, a journey. Um, so if you want to follow along with me this morning, um, in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, so much here. I'm just going to see where the Lord leads us, of which parts of this to kind of hone in on this morning. But this is how Mark begins his gospel, the good news. He bypasses the birth. And the only other story we have is from uh, Luke where um, Jesus was 12 years old and he went to the temple with his family and he, he got lost you know, at 12, speaking with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Remember, and the caravan after Passover left with all of his family and, and Jesus was uh, home alone, the real home alone. And... and um, <laughs> His parents, you were frantic trying to find him, and you can go read that story. And he says the profound words, right, 12, do you not know, mom, dad, I'm to be in my father's house, in my father's house. And so even at that age, God was, was moving, right, this glorious message. And so Mark, we pick up in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Mark doesn't mess around. He brings all the big stuff together right in the very beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, why does he begin this way? Because he focuses on the gospel. Mark focuses on, and the gospel means good news. It means this victorious, wonderful proclamation of what God has done in bringing victory over the darkness in the world, paving the way right through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection um, so that we could have life, an eternal life with God himself. And he defines Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God. He doesn't mess around. As the Christ, the promised Messiah, if you were Jewish reading this, or if you know your Old Testament, he's the f- one who fulfilled all the prophecies. He's fulfilled everything. He is the one you've been looking for. He is the one. The way, the truth, and the life. And then he just sums it up. He is the son of God. He's not just a political ruler of victorious. He is God himself who's come after you. He's come after our hearts. He's come to bring this glorious message greater than any we could ever, ever imagine. And so why does Mark begin here? Because the gospel, folks, the good news, it is to be proclaimed. And he says the beginning because, as we're going to see, Mark picks up with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the proclamation of this message is where Matthew and Luke, they take time leading up to that proclamation. They give us the history, the genealogy, how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies coming through the line of Judah, on and on, doing what in this book is in no other book in all the history of the world fulfilled prophecy. No book matches this of the glory of what Jesus fulfilled, right? In being the Messiah, the one who has come, right, to redeem us um, around Christmas. This is the core message, is the gospel, right, itself. And this is um, what Mark chooses to begin his account, to start with that proclamation. And he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
John appeared. This is John the Baptist. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. I like this guy. And he prepared and he preached. No messing around with this guy. He's not caught up in glitz and glamour and everything. He's a wilderness prophet. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so, boy, there's so much we could talk about here, right? In the sense of John the Baptist himself fulfills the prophecy. The Jews were looking for Elijah, someone preparing the way of the Lord. This was fulfilled all as it filled. Uh, Mark includes just one passage here from Isaiah about the fulfillment of Isaiah, uh, excuse me, of John the Baptist's role in preparing the way. And just a little side note, anytime God God does something, um, moves in a special way, he always, there's always a preparation. There's always a call to get right with God. There's also, and folks, this is true for any of you that know Jesus, any of you who've met the Lord personally as your Lord and Savior, there was a time of preparation. There was somebody in your life, maybe you didn't know them praying for you. There was someone preparing the way for the Lord to move in your heart and bring the good news to you throughout all history. Anytime there's been great moves of God, whether it was Pentecost all the way back to the book of Acts, or whether it's any other revival or great move of God, there was always a time of preparation. There's always a buzz. Before the New Testament began, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there was this intertestinal period, and there was a buzz that came alive. Rome had oppressed the the Jews, and there was this, 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 this longing, this looking, this deep desire for for a savior, for a Messiah. They were primarily looking for a political leader and God intervenes and God intervenes. And folks, just a little side note, we'll get into it more next week, but um, I believe we're moving into that time now. I believe as a country and even as a world, we're moving into a time where people are starting to ask questions, are starting to open up, ask deeper questions, starting to look at what's happening in the world in their lives. And I think it's preparing a way that God is going to move in a special way. The church and God's people need to be ready, right? To ride that wave as such and to heed what God, right, is doing. Now, this guy, John the Baptist, I mean, he is, some call him a wilderness prophet. Um, I personally think we need a lot more of these guys, and, um, and this is what's interesting. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Even Jesus himself did not come from, from, from an intellectual center, did not come from the city center, did not come from the glitz and the glamour, did not come from, from a hoopla, right, somewhere, was not popular, was unknown, nothing fancy about these guys at all, except that they were men who spent time alone in radical, undistracted time in the wilderness with God. And when God moves, again, you can look out throughout history. He moves in the wilderness. He moves in the fringe and gets a hold of somebody, and he moves them into the fray, into the city, to lit out what God is doing and to call his people back. 
And what's the principle for us on this? I think it's just we evaluate, man, is my life lining up, right, with is what I believe about God lining up with what God believes and has said about me is that, man, if I get caught in the fray, if I get caught in the busyness of the city and the busyness of life and everything, you know what happens? And happens to all of us like this. We lose the voice of God. We lose the intensity and the passion and the commitment and the zeal for the things of God and the kingdom of God. And we get caught up what? With the kingdom of the world. And it takes us, just like Jesus who modeled this for us, time in the wilderness, time away, time to disconnect, time to remove the noise of the world to hear what God is saying. And folks, if there's anything I could encourage you to moving into 2024 that is going to be a wild year, Take some time in the wilderness. Chop off the media. You need to hear from God more than you need to hear from the Wall Street Journal or anything else. Your web feed or whatever it is, you need to hear from Him. And the people who do not hear from Him are the people who are swept away right, by the things of the world that are passing. And so, folks, we need God to raise up And I believe he is. Wilderness prophets, people who spend time in the fringe, disconnected, don't care about social media, don't care about what's buzzing out there, what they're focused on is, what God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my marriage, my family, my community, right? The world. The heart, absolutely. Lord, you speak, and when we get that, we bring that back into the fray as such, the busyness, And God moves, he proclaims, he speaks and prepares the way for the Lord. And so, um, I don't know about locusts and and honey, but um, I like the idea of a wilderness prophet. Does that make sense? And even the description, even how John lived, he was was wild. You could put that brother in a box. He wasn't going to be swayed by the latest trends. He wasn't going to be elated by, you know, or influenced by how many people are showing up to hear him. He wasn't persuaded by his popularity. He had one thing on his mind. It was the glory of God. And that is what filled him and moved him. And folks, we need to learn from that, right? Because this is the beauty about that. Is God is wooing you to the wilderness, that quiet place. You read the gospel, this is what Jesus modeled. He got out early in the morning to a solitary place. Get away from the noise so he could hear the Father's voice. And that's the amazing thing about this. It's not just famous John the Baptist, or, you know, um, who's famous now, wasn't then. But Jesus is when he came to love the world. You're his beloved. The Christmas story is not just some story in the past. It's something that has reality for today and incredible hope for the future. It is a beckoning call for you to come with him and let him speak into your soul and to bring this beautiful convergence of faith and life and eternal life inside your soul where what I believe and am standing upon unites with what God says about me. Folks, we're going to talk about loneliness tonight a little bit in this story when we come to the Gospel of John. And folks, God is about your heart. 
And we have an epidemic problem of loneliness and just deep soul trauma and problem. It is simply because of this thing right here. It's because somewhere along the line, I stopped thinking and believing about myself or about the world or about the future, what God has to say about me. And that moves me into a crisis of faith. And folks, I hope my prayer is this Christmas that God will move you, move you to that glorious convergence of freedom. This is the place when those collide inside the soul of a person. This is where what is unleashed by the spirit of God, love and joy and peace and patience. Go down the list. Those are only products of the Holy Spirit. You cannot muster them out. You can't work hard enough. You can't be spiritual enough. That is only from his hand. And he longs to pour that out into your soul. He longs to bring you life you could not even imagine. Just go read some of the saints of old of the joy they experienced of when those things converged and they really started believing about themselves, how God truly loved them, how God truly cared for them and what he has for them. Boom, faith comes alive. Boom, eternal life comes alive. The spirit of God inside the soul, right, of man. Let's move on here. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. So in the Christmas story in Matthew and in Luke, we know that, well, this wild story, right, that the... um, uh, that G- um, Joseph and Mary went for the census to Bethlehem. They had the baby, but then Herod wanted to kill the baby. They're spiritual warfare. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then God called him to go to Egypt. While that died down, and, and then another dream out of Egypt back. And when he came back, he couldn't go to his hometown of Bethlehem because of the fear of the, the reigning king there again. And so he moved to Galilee, to Nazareth, where Jesus was raised um, for 30 years in the home of a builder. Wow. This is why Mark picks up. At 30 years old is when the proclamation started. Jesus' ministry began. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There is no words ever spoken that you or I need to hear more than those. I challenge you. There is no more important words that any soul around the world, throughout history, more important for people to hear than those words right there. You're my beloved. This is how God thinks about you. You are my beloved. I'm your heavenly father. I love you and I am well pleased with you. And we can go on. I have an eternal future for you. And folks, I just want to say as loud as I can, do not let Christmas go by without wrestling with this. Is that how you think about yourself, about God? Because that's how he thinks about you. You're his beloved. That's why he sent his only son through some incredible steps of love and victory and spiritual warfare to set you free. You're his beloved. And folks, it's up to the church to get a hold of that message and with the infectious joy and boldness of the assurance. Folks, when this happens, and that gospel takes hold and faith and that crisis of faith gets dispelled, 
What happens? Joy. When those things start coming up, bubbling up in life, there's an infectious, bold joy that should define people who know Jesus. And that should just bubble out to a world that is desperate, striving, working relationships here and there to hear this affirmation over their soul. You are beloved. You're beloved. And he's well pleased with you. Will you come and take his hand? If you're a prodigal, will you turn and repent? Will you move back to the house of God and receive his embrace? By faith. What is the option? It's to remain in this, this turmoil of a crisis of faith where we're striving and my soul is just not free. That's what he has for us, folks. It's the gospel. Man, how we need to be overwhelmed by that. And folks, let me tell you, nobody has this down. Daily, we can be in and out of this. We get a lot. We start thinking about ourselves. We get down. We, this Christmas season, we have all kinds of things, relational things, things with the kids. Just go down the list of things. And, and man, those lies, those things can get in there. And quickly, what happens, right? What I'm thinking about myself in reality is starts moving away from what God has to say. I constantly need to come back to him. God, Lord, let's get rid of the noise. What do you say, God? What do you have to say about me? In my situation, in my family, I'm holding on to your promises, God. Your promises. And my challenge again for 2024 for all of us is may the word of God be the primary voice into your soul and my soul rather than the world, rather than sports, rather than the news. May it be the word of God. I can give you an absolute guarantee this morning. If you do that, you will receive an unbelievable blessing I cannot even describe to you. It's an absolute guarantee. But what I also can say to you, if you set out on that course, there's an enemy. And he's going to do everything to make you busy and to keep you from that. He's going to increase the noise in your life. He's going to increase the tough things in your life to set you away and have you doubt. Oh, I just don't know if God's good. I really don't know if he's got good things for me. My circumstances don't seem to prove that out. For faith is standing on what God says regardless of the circumstances around me. Lord, I know you're good. Like Job, I know you're good. I know I'm going to stand in your promises, God, regardless of what's happening in my life. I'm standing on you. I'm hearing from you because I know you're going to pull through. The enemy's trying to push us. No, no, no. Just divide that and move us into a crisis of faith. Right? Okay. Verse 12. The spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Gosh, there's not enough time to make the connection between the wilderness that John was living in and the wilderness now that Jesus is taken to by the Spirit for preparation for the beginning of his ministry. And what I said before is if you want to follow Jesus, you have got to understand what God says is that this world we live in is at war. Oh, the thing in the Ukraine thing in the Middle East, those, 
those are minor. That's not the real war. The real war is in the spiritual realm that the Bible makes very clear that's behind all those wars. The real war that's going on is the war of the enemy, the father of lies, the great deceiver, the one who's rejected God and who's doing everything he can do to destroy the things of God and to come and to keep you into a place of of numbness. Away from the gospel, away from believing this wonderful unity of these things coming together. And Jesus had to defeat him because he tells us in Hebrews that, man, we have this Savior, Jesus. He's been tempted in every way we have, but he stood firm because he had to, to be a perfect Savior. To have the strength to deliver us when we fail, when we fall, when we lose our faith, is to stand right upon the truth of God. And so Jesus goes for 40 days and prepares himself. Folks, it's not till he comes out of that that we see the first real proclamation of the kingdom and the power of God manifest in Jesus' life. What happened in that desert is critically important. And for us as Westerners to wake up and realize we've got to get our eyes on the real war. It's the war for souls. It's not the real war in Ukraine. Sure, we need to pray. In the Middle East, sure, we need to be involved. But behind that, our focus has got to be the real war. Jesus said there's going to be, he said it so clearly, as the end comes, there's going to be more and more and more wars, kingdom rising against kingdoms, people falling away from the faith. There's going to be false prophets, false this and that. He's, you've got to be alert. And we go to Mark chapter 13, and Mark says it very clearly. Church, he says, stay awake. Stay sober. Keep your eyes focused on the kingdom of God. A full gospel embraces the kingdom of God to understand that's what we're called to. Not some little philosophy, not some little cute, you know, nostalgic Christmas time thing of a baby in a manger and everything. No, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the king entered this world on a mission to redeem this world and to set the captives free, to call us into the kingdom of light, away from the kingdom of darkness. And he's called his church to represent that kingdom and engage this world by the love of God and the power of God, just like Jesus did, right? And here's the proclamation, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, here's that word, and that's a public proclamation, of proclaiming. I know many of you have probably heard the old, they ascribe that, that quote um, to Francis Assisi, right? Um, Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. That's a lie. He never said it. Secondly, it's not a biblical statement. If you know Jesus, you're to proclaim his name loudly, clearly, lovingly, powerfully, joyfully. There's no greater news in all the earth. And Christmas time should be primarily a proclamation of the most glorious thing that's happened in history and for all time. And God's people should be so wrapped up in the love of God and, and how he sees us and what, he's, what do we have looking forward to that we just can't stop. It just, it just comes out, not in weird ways and abusive ways, but in appropriate, authentic ways. Um, Boy, I read something recently, some old timers, you know, way back in history. And he was talking about love. And I thought this was so applicable for us um, today. He, He said this about love. He says, if you're just talking about love all the time, you don't know anything about love. 
Because love means you're focused on the object of your love. I want that to sink in. Our culture is talking about love all the time. They know nothing of love. And the sad thing is in the church today, we talk about, oh, we just need love. We just need love. No, we need to talk about the object of our love. For me to truly understand and live in love and to truly be able to love others, I need to be consumed by the object of my love, which is my Lord. Let me tell you how great he is. Let me tell you how he is mercy upon my life. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Does that make sense? It's just like in a marriage. All right, if you just talk about love, yeah, we love each other. Yeah, we love each other. Yeah, we love. But you never focus on talking about that person and how beautiful, wonderful they are. It's not love. It's just a bunch of words, right? The gospel. Remember, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. It's a gift from God. The world's idea of love is completely defaced. That should be obvious from history. It's a gift from God. I can't love how I need to without the spirit of God inside me. So any talk of love out there without the source of love is a fake love. Now that's harsh. It's just true. It's what the Bible says. And if I don't believe this, if I have a different idea of love that I can love without God, if I can love without him, guess what? I'm in a crisis of faith. It's not going to go well. I'll miss the true magnitude of what love actually is. Oh, yeah, we can do some good things on our own. We can, you know, do loving things as such. But to love, we've minimized what love is. If that's our definition, right? And after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the Christmas story. That's the gospel. That's the first words out of Jesus' mouth of proclaiming. This is why Mark started right here. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. At just the right time, God fulfilled his incre- all the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the promises he'd been given Israel for the whole world, that I'm going to fix this. I'm going to bring salvation to you. And miraculously does it. God entered this world after your soul, after your heart, after the world, right? John 3.16, he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that she ever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. God wants life for you. He's beckoning you right into that, into me. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Folks, how we would live differently if I realized, folks, do you know the kingdom of God is at hand? Remember, how we're to look at life is two kingdoms, not a third. The whole war, you have all kinds of wars and everything going on, but there's ultimately the war is two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world against the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of the world is under Satan and all his and those who reject God and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus who, folks, is returning again. And Christmas should never be just a focus on what happened in the manger. As a matter of fact, you read the New Testament, every bit of motivation for the church is his next coming, not his last coming. That's what we stand upon, but he's coming again. And when he comes again, he will make everything right. 
until then, the church is to represent this glorious kingdom and the radical love of God because God desires all to come to know him. And we're in the times of the, of the season of grace right now to proclaim this message that all right, would hear. That's the heralding message of Christmas. All come to him if you want life, if you want peace, right? if you want right, God in your soul. The unbelievable thing to me is that some people don't want him. The incredible thing to me is some people don't want God. And here's the deal. If you don't want him in this life, you're not going to want him for all eternity. That is mind-blowing to me. And it should be to you too. And, and, and Paul says he's about persuading, right, is we should engage people and rock them a little bit. How can you go through life without seeking God? And without worrying about what's going to happen for eternity, let alone your little blip of a life here. Why would you desire to live without the one who created you? Why would you want to live without being in touch with your soul and your heart? And man, God wants to put his life in in your soul, bring his life alive. Why would someone reject that? Um. Well, uh, Derek and I were in uh, Oxford, um, which is, by the way, not the fringe. <laughs> it is the fray of intellectual pride, right? Um, we came across, I think Derek shared with you, just it was so encouraging. The number in that intellectual hub, the number of people who were just, we encountered full of the joy of the Lord, couldn't. And, and, and they knew we're pastors, but they still told us their story of what God had done in their life. It just bubbled out. And one guy, Derek, I think mentioned him, older uh, guy, um, Bruce, um, he was actually one of the, the chaplains of, uh, of the Wycliffe Hall. He, man, he got a hold of us in our class, and he just told, he just, it, it just came, folks, it was infectious joy of a delight in his soul to share with people who knew Jesus, what Jesus has done for him. And he tells this story. And I think this is so interesting because Christmas requires a response. The gospel requires a response. And we have grown up and are in a culture that loves comfort. And the last thing we want to do is impose on someone that they're responsible for the decisions they actually make. And the gospel comes, it's the ultimate responsibility. It's the ultimate question of what am I going to do with it? And Bruce tells a story of when he was, before he came at at this process of how he came to Jesus and he got drugged, I think it was, to a a church service. And a preacher was telling the good news. And at the end of the message, the preacher said, here's here's what we're going to do is um, you've heard the good news. Now, if you have confessed Jesus. And if he's the Lord and Savior of your life, if what you think about God and what God says about you, if faith comes alive in Jesus, you walk through that door as you leave here. If you're not sure, if you don't know what you're gonna do or if you don't really care about it or you're a little apathetic to it or you just don't wanna make a decision, you walk through that door. 
whoa. And so Bruce tells his story. He's like, everybody starts fidgeting. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I guess he was with some rugby fellers and they were trying to, they were getting all, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And like, man, we just need to plow through a third door. <laughs> now, I know what some of you think. You're thinking, okay, there's two other doors here on the side. I'm going through that door. But here's the deal, folks. There's no third door. There's no third door. You can't go through those. Jesus doesn't allow a third door. In the big scheme of eternity, there's not a third door. When it comes to the Christmas story, there is not a third door of, ah, it's a cute little story. I'm going to go for a little nostalgia around Christmas time and I'm going to, ah, you know, do my Christmas thing. That's not an option. Jesus is the son of God. He's returning to make things right. And let me just say, according to the word of God, you want to be on his side. Because there is grave consequences to not being on his side. And we live in a world that does not want consequences, does not want to have to come to make a decision, right, in life. And so I just give that illustration to you. Nobody's going to be watching which door you go out. So, um, But uh, it's a profound illustration, isn't it? It hit me. And actually, that's what led him to the Lord. You know, he kind of fled around. Ah, I'm a Christian. I'm kind of a Christian. Until he had to make a stand. No, this is what I believe. I want to line this up. I want God to fill my soul. Until he was pushed in that position, he could just waffle through life. You know, just easy go lucky, whatever. I'm going to come in the third door. All right? And I plead with you this morning, if you're in a crisis of faith, whatever it is, man, I plead with you this morning is just during our time, Derek, y'all come on up, is to, um, man, let the Lord come and speak to you. Let the love of God be poured out in your heart. You know, Romans 5 says that. Is if you know him, that the love of God is poured out by the Holy Spirit into your soul. And I can just, listen, I, I could stand up here and give you testimonies all day long in my <clears throat> life of, of living in a crisis of faith, trying to force what I'm going to hold to versus against what God says. And this is just a clash. And let me just tell you, it doesn't work. Life doesn't work that way. But man, when I surrender, when I repent, when I turn back to the Lord and this thing comes together inside my soul, there's nothing like it, folks. It's eternal life. And thank God, God is merciful and gracious with us. I thank him all the time. So I just ask you this morning, no matter where you're at, take a step out of a crisis of faith into his arms. Let him love you. Let him save you. Let him fill your soul with peace that surpasses all intellectual understanding. That's the gospel, folks. And the gospel of the kingdom is something that happened in a manger 2,000 years ago where God came to this world sent his only son to come after this world to bring the only solution to the world's problems, period, plain and simple. And the gospel also is a very present reality. We're not only to look back at what Jesus did for us in his death, his burial, his resurrection, right? 
setting us free from sin, shedding his blood, that we could be right before God. Um, it's interesting in that Mark account, it said when Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. What did it talk about heaven? It said heaven was torn open. Does that word sound familiar? When he was crucified, the veil in the temple, the Holy of Holies, same Greek word, torn in two, wide open. Jesus came to open heaven and eternity to you. That's the Christmas. That's the glory of the gospel. And we don't stop there. We're to like think in the gospel presently, look around presently. But folks, our eyes always, he is coming back. He is coming back with the armies of heaven to make things right and end this war of wars. And he wants you on his side. And so I ask you this morning, just to come to him and let the spirit of God do what only he can do in your soul. So Father, thank you, Lord, for this Christmas Eve and Lord, you're, Lord, uh, I have no words, Lord, to, to, to articulate just the magnitude of your love and the glory of the gospel, which you've done for us. Lord, let us be a church that shouts it from the mountaintop. Overwhelm your people, encourage your people, let it permeate our homes, our children's hearts, God. Let it just flow out like a river to this community, God. Lord, if there's anyone here, and they're in a crisis of faith this morning, they're just not sure. Lord, no preacher, no person that can persuade, nobody can save anybody. That's your work. Only you can do that. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. And Lord, that there would just be some childlike open hands this morning to say, come Jesus. I want you. I want you. And Lord, you would shower your love in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.